Welcome to Food Connection, the podcast where we talk about all things food and cooking and chat with our favorite Phoenix chefs. I am Pascal Dionneau, the co-host with Chef Lou Swartz and Danielle Sanders. We just got Bon Appetit's new issue, which covers the top 10 best new restaurants. And we had a little bit of an office debate going around here because some of us felt like it should be reserved to fine dining restaurants only. And my thoughts were that it's kind of nice to see restaurants doing different things and with all different price points. Because for someone like me, it's not financially plausible to eat at fine dining restaurants very often. So it's kind of nice to see restaurants that I can actually eat at. That's right. And uh, I think the direction uh, restaurants are taking in America, uh, the, 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 the most thing I think is the price. First of all, you should, uh, if you open a restaurant today, you should talk, think about price. Because if you say, I'm going to open fine dining and the best, and uh, you charge over $100 per, uh, per dinner, you better be damn good to, uh, to bring people night after night. I think today, restaurant people are not willing to pay more than 25 bucks at the most for a main course. And it seems like young American chefs are discovering vegetables, are discovering all kinds of fun stuff. We've discovering stewing and braising a few years back. Now everybody braise, uh, braises everything from lamb shank to uh, pork belly to all that stuff. And I think not only they realize that uh, cooking could be fun and tasty, but you don't have to have a veal chop and I uh, eat tuna at $22 a pound. That's the cost of the restaurant. On a menu, in order to attract people, you can make money with uh, some sausage, with some stew, with some uh, very interesting uh, dishes. And the fun thing to see is that the uh, Hot 10 restaurant in Bon Appetit, the, first, the second one actually is a Filipino restaurant. And we have in the two first five restaurants are two restaurants that are specialized in mostly vegetable. So it's kind of, uh, I think, refreshing to see that, uh, yes, the uh, American chefs are discovering uh, all kinds of fun stuff that you don't have to, uh, to spend a ton of money. I think it shows the, uh, the taste and the diversity of uh, how America has changed over the years from just being straight European cuisine that's going to be, you know, top notch. That, uh, that the Filipino and, and other places are, are starting to hit and become the more famous and, and popular places to be. And I think it's awesome that, you know, the, with that diversity, the, the food, it's going to change. You know, obviously the, their food cost is going to be a little less expensive. They might not use the most expensive ingredients, you know, the foie gras and those sort of things. But they're turning out the awesome food and, and being creative with different flavors that match not just the palates of, let's say, the, the culture that they're, they're cooking, but also pairs well with the, the American palates that the, they're trying to reach. You know, they're trying to reach the American people and try to kind of combine American and and fused with Filipino in this case or, or Mexican or whatever the case might be, you know, the different flavors that kind of bring everything together and really just kind of appeal to uh, a new crowd. Let's face it, the, the millennials are the ones that are going out and eating more often. They don't want to cook at home anymore, so they're going out and their voices are being heard as far as what the best restaurants are going to be. And I think it's, it's fantastic that we're, we're kind of changing and new places are being discovered. 
and we were talking about the barbacoa in, in Philadelphia, and that's an amazing place. Unfortunately, I we read I read it a couple of times now that they only serve that on the weekend, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the only time you can get it. But you know, that's a fancy, uh, beautiful new restaurant that's been the, in Philadelphia for a few years, and they're doing fantastic. And you know, like I said, the the flavors are changing. Being born and raised in the Philadelphia area, it's no longer cheesesteak and, and street pretzels so we're going with barbacoa and and our our taste buds are are changing which is fantastic so i'm all for it well plus like you said there's two vegetable focused restaurants in there like we were saying just prices and people need to people want to pay a bunch of money for with the economy right now for dinner a lot of times exactly out. exactly and you could see uh, again here the Number five uh, best restaurant in uh, in the magazine is a restaurant in Baru in Los Angeles, uh, which uh, uh, seems to be like a, a rice bowl restaurant. And uh, here again, I would imagine that the rice bowls don't cost a fortune. But uh, I also see that the chef has uh, do a, did a stage at Noma restaurant oh, really? in uh, Copenhagen so even uh, the restaurant I mean chefs that do stage in some of the best restaurants in the world realize that there is probably a handful of restaurants in the world or in a city that can charge uh, hundreds of dollars for, 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 uh, for dinner and people realize that uh, you know a rice bowl and uh, uh, vegetable trays and uh, that kind of stuff is uh, is just as can be just as flavorful and as wonderful I think um, that's the guy that does all kinds of crazy fermentation stuff. Possible. We're also discovering um, new spices in America. You know, notice that turmeric is the turmeric is in. Huh? Mm-hmm. Turmeric is the is the thing now, which is kind of fun actually to, to add things. Which of course, until the point where we're going to abuse it, put turmeric in everything, and realize that <laughs> there is an adverse uh, situation when you eat too much of it. Cilantro back in the nineties. Everything was cilantro. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's no great restaurant and French restaurants like the Bernardin, like uh, Daniel Boulou in New York. Uh, those kind of restaurants are fine, but uh, as I said, the average New Yorker doesn't go to Daniel four, five, six times a year. They may go there once in a while on a crazy occasion, because it's a wonderful restaurant, but the prices are just crazy. And when you live in New York and you eat maybe three nights out a week, you can't afford. Uh, a three or four hundred dollar dinner every time, so lots of lots of fun stuff. Yes, I'm all for it. I'm all for a rice bowl restaurant and uh, a small restaurant that do bruschetta, and uh, as long as they come up with in- intelligent uh, uh, food and uh, and fun stuff. Uh, we're all just looking for good quality food, usually good prices on wine and and drinks. And one of those people that will frequent places because of the the pricing and decent quality. It's maybe not the the best in the in the valley, but it doesn't need to be. It's as long as it's good quality and and that's what most people are, are going for these days. Uh, you know, look at the, the the popularity of like Postino and what else? Uh, Le Grand Orange, you know, how many uh, different restaurants they had going on. The Sam Fox concepts, they're always very popular. So Right, because they're priced properly, right, I think. Right, right. So they're going to be high on everybody's list because they get a decent quality. They know they're going to get a decent quality, and then the prices are good, and that's what people are looking for nowadays. And, and, and their menus are somewhat you know similar, but they have a lot of diversity on there, and, and people love and will flock to those sort of places. Well, we were just talking about this with Jeff Krause, but I think that that's kind of why the rise in fast casual restaurants has come about because 
you know, for me, I don't eat fast food anymore. I haven't had McDonald's in, you know, I don't know how many years, but I will still eat Chipotle or, you know, Shake Shack just opened up at Fashion Square. I'll still eat stuff like that that I feel like is not ridden with a million chemicals and ingredients and is still at a reasonable price point and it's quick and easy. And the burger is good? The burger was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really good. I haven't tried it yet. I gotta, I gotta go. Yeah. It was a good burger. I saw the uh, the report on the news the other day about the the Roker burger that they're serving there, and I was saying that the each burger that they sell that they donate a dollar to I think it was what No Kid Hungry. Shit off strain, yeah. Yeah, one of the other nonprofits that basically to help feed uh, you know kids who go to bed hungry. Obviously, it's a great great idea, and uh, you know Al Roker from uh, NBC, and you know he he's the one to put it together, and I guess came up with worked along with the chefs at those places to come up with the recipe for it and it sounded interesting um the ladies i saw eating it on the 12 news seemed to be enjoying themselves so you know i guess that's a that's a good sign and the one looked like she was pecking at it like a damn bird but the other lady was chowing down on it it looked good sounded good to me it was a burger with i think it was pulled pork on top of it and some other good stuff on top of there i don't really remember it but it looked pretty good well that's just a thing too and when i lived in new york for just a few months shake shack had just opened and people went crazy for it and they were waiting in line for like hours and hours to get in i wouldn't do that i mean i don't mm-hmm. think it's worth that i think if i'm at the mall i'm gonna get it but I don't think it's worth more than, I don't know, 15 minute wait. It's yeah, that's what I said about waiting in line for a certain pizza in the valley here. Oh, I... Yeah, I won't say who's name. Yeah, I know. I was wondering about that. I'm not very big on deep dish either, so... Oh, no. Oh, I, no, oh, no. no I, was talking, I was talking about the... Bianco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was saying I wasn't going to say their name, but come on. <laughs> I said uh, Yeah, okay, well, you know, no, no offense, because I know Chef Tony that works for Bianco, but anyway... Yeah, I won't. Uh, I waited deep, for... deep dish sucks. All right, I'll, I'll be honest. I think deep about dish that luminal, Illuminati. Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> not Illuminati. No, we're getting uh, mixed up with uh, what's that? Uh, the Illuminati. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, what is the pizza called? Lou Malnati's. Yeah, Lou Malnati's. I keep seeing people on Facebook saying. They oh, the deep dish from Chicago. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's open here. And I'm not even. It. It's good. I'm not even. Not no. even to try it. No. Yeah, I know. It's like you can eat a greasy muffin. I mean, <laughs> that's all it is, I believe. I may be wrong, but uh, all I know is just uh, regular pizza. But deep dish pizza, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they are fried uh, or they are cooked in a black pan. Yeah. They at in a very hot oven, a pizza oven. And I believe the dough is like a muffin dough. It's a dough that has baking powder instead of yeast. And it has so much oil in it that it actually fries mm-hmm. into that pan yeah. Yeah. in it's a very crispy. hot oven. It's so that's crispy. why it's like crispy and stuff. I think, I mean, I would eat the slice, but... Yeah, maybe one slice once in a while, but uh, no, a pizza is a pizza is a thin crust. That's it. I think I dated a greasy muffin, but anyway. Um. <laughs> I waited. At, <laughs> I waited at Pizza Bianco for this is a, several years ago for like two or three hours, and we got so hungry, so we went next door. Right. That, well, he's got the he's got it knocked. He's got that little bar next door. Well, we didn't go there, but oh, then really? we went to like this Irish bar that was oh. across the. The way, and I got a bunch of appetizers and drinks over my three hours. So by the time we got to exactly. Bianco's, mm-hmm. I wasn't hungry. Mm-hmm. Well, we had done the same thing at Bianco. He's had he's got a bar next door, and you go there, and uh, there was four of us, and we spent 120 bucks in drinks yeah. and a cheese platter. 
and so you spend 120 bucks before you sit down and uh, order your 18 dollar pizza i mean he's good he's, he's doing fine and good for him but uh, yeah it's a little silly although sharon and i went there a couple years ago and we didn't have to wait at all and i think it uh, kind of hit its max you know it's it's peak and it's kind of tapered off quite a bit but uh, they, they still do a lot of good food was it they just opened up I'm going to say Trotto or Trotta. Or, yeah, something like that. Yeah, you opened uh, the Italian restaurant somewhere. Yeah, else. and that, that they're doing awesome. And like I said, I know the the one guy that works there, he worked with me at uh, Michael's at the Citadel years ago and uh, went on to work at Quiescence. And mm-hmm. uh, now he's working there, and he's he's awesome. Chef Tony and, you know, that guy just killer pastas and, and very creative. So I did a class with Chris Bianco, like a demo class. Actually, it's really tough, but... Um, it was fun. He's a really entertaining guy. He's very passionate. Yeah. So how much did you spend for Sir Top classes? It was actually a free class. Oh, that's the best price right yeah. there. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pay money to go there. Uh, did anyone eat anything exciting this week? Actually, I did. I went to uh, Deseo restaurant in uh, the Western... Uh, uh, Western Carolina. Yeah. Carolina Western, yes. And the nice restaurant is called Deseo, which means, like I think, desire, desire. in Spanish. They, for about three, four years, they had a uh, an old guy running the kitchen, and I uh, went there a few times. It was okay. They have an, uh, a younger guy. I believe his name is Derek Biazzo or Bazio or something like that. A local guy. He's from Kingman, Arizona. I'm not sure where he trained, but he worked in a few places in San Francisco in a couple of uh, fine restaurants, and he worked here in town at places like uh, Alchemy in Fountain Hills and... Uh, a few other things. Anyway, I was uh, I was happy with the with the with the menu and the selection that we had. We had a uh, actually a scallop ceviche. The menu is still Spanish. I mean, the restaurant obviously has a Spanish uh, feel to it, which I thought in the beginning was Cuban, but I guess it's more Spanish now. And we had a, a scallop ceviche with uh, flavored with uh, the passion fruit uh, juice, which was really really nicely balanced and nicely uh, very very tasty. So, yes, uh, I actually talked to him. I uh, should uh, probably, maybe we should go one of these days and talk to him and do a podcast on yeah. this guy. Because uh, he's, uh, again, he's young, excited about what he does, and it's kind of fun and uh, refreshing to talk to a chef that uh, gets excited and you can see his voice just, just, just goes, he starts speaking faster when he talks about <laughs> his food and that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just wonderful. Well, no, I did. I ate at Chipotle, and there is a rock in my burrito bowl that I didn't break my tooth on. I luckily bit down gingerly. But there is a sizable pedal in my pebble in my burrito bowl. So I sent them a complaint email, and then they called me to make sure I was okay. So that was nice. Well, it's, it, it is nice, because, for example, I did uh, send an email to Smucker. Smucker? Smucker. Smucker's Preserve. And you know that if it's Smucker, it's got to be good. Yes. That's, their, that's their advertisement and their, their claim of fame. However, half of their preserve is made with high fructose corn syrup. So my question to them was, what is so good about high fructose corn syrup? If you say it's a, <laughs> if it's Smucker, it's got to be good. Just explain, am I missing something? And uh, they just sent me a nice letter uh, telling me that they were really happy that I was... Uh, interested in their company and uh, the with a list of all their product and not a word about high fructose corn syrup but they did give me a six dollar coupon to go buy some more preserve the only problem is the coupon expired within four days <laughs> from the moment i got sure. it so so i had to run but even though i missed it 
well, you didn't miss out on much of anything, so. Well, Chipotle said they were going to send me free coupons, too, so that's nice. There you go. Yeah, they actually asked me if I still had the rock. They said that <laughs> if I had it to mail it in, because they wanted to look at it and send it to their procurement team mm-hmm. for training. That's nice, they care. Well, I guess they have to care after all their E. coli incidents. Yeah. They've been hurting, yes. I understand they actually want to go in the, biz- in the burger business. I read about this. Yeah, I think I heard and about And they want to go in the burger business, but they want burgers that is not, uh, no antibiotics, no hormones, no anything. So when somebody asked him, where are you going to find that beef? <laughs> the answer was, we don't know yet. So hopefully they can find it. Oh, I don't know. Maybe we're going to import beef from Mexico. I don't know. Well... We can go to our listener questions. So Georgia asks, <laughs> when she cooks, her meat always sticks to the pan. What is she doing wrong? Probably put the meat in a cool pan. I would say get your pan hotter before you add the meat, which is actually one of the most important techniques. Yeah? I always told my students when they, uh, they can make a wonderful sauce and then they just boil the chicken or, uh, or, or destroy the meat through cooking it, and I said, well, this is, this is destroyed, the chicken is horrible. And when they come up with the, the answer, oh, but the sauce is very good, uh, I usually just grab the plate and just shove everything down to the garbage and said, well, everything, sauce and chicken, goes in the trash because the chicken is inedible. Yes, I think if the food sticks to a pan, it's probably because it went to a pan not, not hot enough. What do you think, Lou? Either that or you're moving around uh, too much in the pan. It's, right. You know, it's just, just, yeah, just cooling the pan down. So just let it sit. Hot pan, put your food. And that's one mistake I notice a lot of students make here. And I know it's exciting when you put something in a pan to move it around and uh, and shake it and, you know, that's move your shoulders up and down sure. and uh, you feel like a real cook. And then they put that. So you put your meat with, uh, and if the, if the meat comes out of the refrigerator, it's about 40 degrees. So you top it, even if your pan is at 400 with a little bit of a, uh, uh, salad oil in it or vegetable oil at 400 degrees you put the meat in it you drop the temperature to about 300 and if you start moving the meat right away you expose more cold to the pan you drop it down to 250 or so and you never recover and especially if you're at home on on top of it you're on an electric stove forget about it you'll never recover and then you'll boil the food and uh, and destroy the, the protein yeah pretty much and then if it's problems with fish I mean you know just make sure Yes, that pan's got to be nice and really hot. Make sure that you get a you know nice brush of oil on top of your fish. That's the way you should do it. Don't put the oil in the pan. Put the oil on the fish and and then put the fish into the pan. So that way you don't make a, a huge mess in your 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 kitchen. But don't move it. Put it in there nice and hot and just let it sit. No matter what you think is going on, it's it's going to be perfectly fine. And then when you flip it over, you're going to have a nice, beautiful sear on the outside of it, and that's exactly what you want. So don't move it around. Have faith that you're doing it right. Fish, do you put skin side down first or last? If I'm doing it for presentation side, I usually put skin side down first. And I brush that with oil and then just sear it, kind of weigh it down with my fingers to kind of make sure it gets a nice, even crispiness across the, the skin. And then you know, let it sit there for a good minute or so. It'll start relaxing, and then just flip it over, finish it that way, and uh, 
do it that way. Presentation side should go down first. Right, and if there's no skin, then you cook the bone side first. Right. Because the bone side is better looking than the silver skin. Right. Or the, the, the yeah, fatty, uh, yeah, yeah. The grayish stuff that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot that Trinka also had a question. She wanted to know what your take was on the food pyramid, and she wanted to know from Pascal what the difference is in the way that Europeans eat versus the way that Americans eat. Well, in Europe, there's one word that doesn't exist in uh, in in French or German or Italian or Spanish, uh, is the word snack. They the Europeans don't snack. First of all, they eat uh, three times a day. Breakfast is usually coffee and uh, what they call a tartine, which is just a piece of bread, toasted or not, with uh, a, a butter and sometimes preserve on top of it. Not every French eat croissant for breakfast, as uh, one would think, but it's definitely coffee and, and some kind of a bread thing. Smuckers? The no, they have a bonne maman. Bonne maman. Bonne maman, yeah. bonne maman it's all sugar. Lunch is the big meal, and I don't know if you know, but uh, and a French don't eat sandwiches for lunch. A sandwich is picnic food. And uh, maybe, I mean, a French would eat sandwich maybe five times a year. <laughs> uh, the, the, the twice when they travel, if they live in Paris, they travel down to the Riviera on vacation, they may have a picnic uh, because the whole family is there and they don't have a reservation, they're going to eat somewhere. But a picnic for the French is the picnic table, the hard-boiled eggs, the salt shaker, the plates and everything. Uh, you still, they don't eat like, on, uh, you know, sitting on the hood of a car or that kind of stuff. The um, So lunch is the big thing and actually every company, every factory in France gives lunch tickets to the employee that are good in local restaurants. And there is a plenty of small restaurants that are around uh, businesses that are only open for lunch. And uh, all they do is uh, serve lunch. So you don't, it's not a la carte, you, uh, you're going to get there and you're going to get whatever they have. They may have a choice between a salad and a tomato salad in the summer, maybe a choice between a stew or a, uh, or a piece of fish or something. And it usually costs with a quarter of a liter of wine, which is a quarter of a liter, which is about a cup, a little more than a, than a, than a cup of wine. And, uh, and usually a dessert, and the dessert could just be a fruit. But the French would have to sit down and eat with a plate, have a glass with their wine and all that stuff. I mean, you don't see French people eating a sandwich in a corner or something and drinking out of a soda can. It just, just doesn't happen. And dinner usually done at home, everybody around the table. And uh, I can tell you about my, uh, my experience when I was a kid. Actually, the dinner was usually a very, very small meal. And often there was no meat for dinner. The dinner is often a vegetarian uh, affair. Or they also eat uh, uh, eggs at least once a week, an omelette for dinner or some kind of an egg dish. And we actually are eventually going to get to this, I think, in the US. I think Americans realizing that uh, eggs are not just for breakfast. We eat eggs all the time for dinner because it's cheap. Well, yeah, it's cheap and it's uh, fast. it's uh, it's yep. fast and it's uh, it's great. I mean, an egg is like decent uh, decent amount of calorie. It's not outrageous and it's it's just good good healthy stuff. Right. Absolutely. But she also asked what you guys think about the nutritional pyramid or the food pyramid, I guess. Well, it's still wrong. They did change it about 15, 20 years ago. It's still uh, it's still not not exactly right. There's still way too much starch. But they did uh, flip it a little bit. The fat again are hidden uh, in this. Uh, I mean, the, the the latest thing in a restaurant now we served crispy chicken fat. 
in restaurant and uh, an American of course it's tasty now this is not something I think you should eat every night or every day but the new thing is like saturated fat is not as bad as we thought it is etc and as I always said a little bit of everything if you eat fried chicken every night you're gonna have a problem I would imagine even if you eat a pound of strawberries every day eventually something's gonna happen I mean, I don't think it's going to be dramatic and not as bad as eating a pound of sugar every day. But you just got to have a, a variety of food and, and small portion. Speaking of which, I remember when you render uh, the duck skin, you get all the duck cracklings. And, yeah. And uh, the, the one friend chef that I used to work with, he's, we used to just save all the duck cracklings uh, that we had at the end of the night and just salt it and just sit there and eat it and then drink beer. and It was a good night. It was fantastic. That's... That's a popular thing. You know, sure. And uh, it's fantastic. It's delicious. It, so there's good. nothing right about it nutritional, you know, nutritional wise, but who the hell cares? I mean, you know, anything in moderation, I think, you know, don't do it every week, you know. But, man, it was good. I got a pressure cooker a few weeks ago that I'm obsessed <laughs> with that I emailed, I texted you about because I was concerned about using it. Yeah, she was worried that she was going to send a new satellite out in this space. Yeah, I never used one before. This is like <laughs> a digital one, though. I would be still scared to use uh the, old, the old school ones. Digital yeah. pressure cooker? Electric? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah, it has buttons for everything, like beans, rice, oh, wow. whatever. So anyways, I've been making a lot of, I've been making like whole chickens in it and stuff, because it makes a whole chicken in 25 minutes. Right. So it's perfect, because I can stick it in there when I'm putting the baby down or whatever. But anyways, but then the skin is like all soggy and gross. Right. So I've been removing the skin first and baking it separately. And then putting the skin back on my chicken at the end. Or fried for, for putting an oven at 400 like you do a confit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's delicious. That sounds good. Yeah, pressure cooker are fun. I remember cooking uh, cooking um, artichoke in pressure cooker. Cook an artichoke in 15 minutes, mm-hmm. opposed to 45 to 50. Yeah. yeah, I haven't done artichoke yet, but I got this pressure cooker cookbook, and it has, it has that on there. Yeah, you can do everything in there. It's awesome. We did pot roast, short ribs, chicken. Anyway. And do you know one day you're going to burn something in there and you'd say, that. I didn't know you could burn something in a pressure cooker. <laughs> where, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> okay. So I, we can end up with a few quick fire questions. Um, hidden gem restaurant in Phoenix. Phoenix area. Oh, Lord. Um... I don't know if it's hidden, but I, I love it, and uh, I think it's a great little place uh, if you're going around like in the the Crudo and uh, those sort of areas. Uh, the Market uh, by Jennifer's. Mm, I always mean to go there because it's time, called the Market. Yeah. yeah, I see it every. It's right next to Crudo. It's in that same yeah, area. Exactly. I, I see exactly. it every time we eat there. And it's, it it's, good. it's it has, a fun little place, and uh, they do a lot of catering. I know that much. But it has really good reviews too. Yeah, the food the food's good. The the service is great. They you know they'll sit they'll chat with you. Uh, if they're not busy, and you know they they make it they make you feel at home, and uh, that's what I love. I'd say maybe not hidden, yes, but maybe I don't know if it's a gem. It's <laughs> a, but it's good. It's good. A place called the Tuck Shop or the Tuck oh, yeah. Shop Kitchen and Bar try that a few times they have like uh, a cheese curd and uh, a few small plates like uh, you know scallop caprese and a bunch of stuff I thought I thought their food was pretty good and have you tried it uh-huh. yeah. yeah it was good yeah I thought I thought it's, it's pretty and very uh, and pretty reasonable really yeah. reasonably priced coffee or espresso can I say both again 
No. I'd go with coffee. This place so here. What's always in your refrigerator at home? Butter. Yeah. Oh, I got a ton of butter. Eggs and milk and butter. Yeah, pretty much same here. Yeah. Once in a while, I bring something from school, and it just sits there until I throw it away. Favorite condiments? We're talking for, like, burgers and, and whatever else? <laughs> um, not necessarily. You can interpret it however you'd like to, Lou. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm going with, like, a burger or something like that, you know, throw some, like, uh, some spicy relish or something on there. I don't know. Favorite condiment? Salt. <laughs> Favorite food truck? Oh. The, I gotta <laughs> go with the Super Farm, because, because, you know, I know the family, so, uh so well second would be the uh, waffle crush I don't know much about food truck I, uh, however I want to try the frit uh, the pommes frit uh, truck that uh, Jeff was talking about you this morning say Eric's truck what's the name of it what is it doing Fontana's Pizza Fontana's Pizza yeah we have a um, a cook that helps us here and works at school and he has a uh, he has a food truck and a hot dog cart Yes. Actually, and it's fun. I haven't seen this thing. I haven't went to see him, but uh, we should try it. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's it. So until next week. Until next week. Okay, cool. See you next week. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We are here at Crate Bar with Jeff Krause, who's the owner and chef, and he was telling us a little bit about the expansion, so he's in Tempe, and how long have you been here? Four and a half years. Yeah, fourth, uh, the fourth year on July 4th. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when did you expand? Oh, this has been in the works for probably about a year, year and a half, um, but I closed on June, um, the end of May, and the start of June was when construction started. Um, and then we just opened. This is our fourth week back. A lot of fours for the July 4th year. That's all right. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the incubator rooms? I think that's really cool. Which is the room we're sitting in now. Um, it's kind of my way of paying it forward, right? So I've had a lot of opportunities and chances with people that uh, have just given me a lot. Um, so I figured paying it forward. With us doing the expansion, it's like my next level. Um, the menu is like my next level is what I'm calling it. And this room came about when one of my dishwashers, one of my porters said, hey, can I do your furniture? I'm thinking about doing my own furniture shop, woodworking and metalwork, and I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. So then it just expanded from there. I started thinking, I'm like, man, what if I created like 300, like 100 square feet, um, 200 square feet into a room focused on people wanting to like take their game, if you will, their craft or their art to the next level. So you're sitting on a bench, Made by made by a guy who just started his own business, Anthony Threlkill. Um, he did the the maple walnut blend tables. Those are um, nice. And then uh, the the actual room itself was built by a contractor who needed two commercial projects before he became a commercial contractor. And then ASU um, design school student designed the color palette. Chandelier above the communal is was made from a guy working on his master's in architectural. Uh, design and then all the artwork is you know all local local art very nice it's pretty cool very nice yeah pretty proud of it yeah. so the idea is for people to sit in here um, and just be inspired so everywhere they look there's there's in my mind something to like engage them with you know what I mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and before you were here you had a food truck and I think you were kind of one of the pioneers of food trucks out here yeah so what made you want to get a brick and mortar Oh, I, do you remember? Do you, you were the you were there for the grand opening of yeah. the food truck. You yep. Remember that? 
you and Pamela from Edible Phoenix. Yep. Uh, I don't even know how long ago that was. So long ago. Six years at least. Maybe. Years. Yeah. What made me want to change from food truck to to the restaurant? Just wanting more structure. The food trucks were. It was nuts. Just the going back and forth. It was kind of cool because we got to go where the party was and then in when the party was done, but there just wasn't enough. Um, it was just so many logistical situations that dealing with the city, dealing with the county, even dealing with like just a limited, you know, um, menus. You know and I mean? you were one of the first ones, right? Yeah, the very first. Actually, the, the New Times did the first category of trucks, like the best, food, best of the food trucks. Um, truck and Good Food was the, the first. Huffington Pulse. It was pretty cool. I, I kept the intellectual property. There's a there's a good chance. I don't want to say good chance, but it is an entertaining chance that a food truck of sorts, a trucking good food part two comes out. Um, but it would be more like you ice, know, cream. ice cream or something that you know you don't really yeah something different, something fun. And obviously the uh, the place is called Crepe Bar, so you just you still emphasize mostly on crepe, savory crepes, sweet crepes, and. Uh, do you have anything else but uh, on the menu? We we do a maker's menu, which is like our market menu. It features all of our you know purveyors, our friendships with like Noble Bread, with uh, Steadfast Farm, Maya's Farm. Um, that's on the backside, and we do cereals. We do our own yogurts and butters, so we do a lot of cultured um, products in here. And then from the byproducts, because the idea with this expansion was to eliminate waste right. and to like really focus on technique and like guest services and just like elevate breakfast and lunch. So what we did, we do we do our own butters, we do our own yogurts, and what we do with the byproducts, for example, creme fraiche. We make creme fraiche and then we do butter out of that. We whip that, make butter, and then we use the buttermilk to bake in. But we also do the, the yogurts and we separate that with the whey. We thicken almost like a Greek yogurt. We take the byproducts of both and create a lassie drink so there's no waste. That was part of the reason for the expansion. A drink with a drink. the whey? Yeah, and the buttermilk. So right. it's like a fermented, soury-ish kind of drink. Interesting, um, yeah. I didn't know anything about drink. I know that many restaurants, Italian restaurants, that makes their own mozzarella or their own... Uh, uh, cheese they use the way to make the pizza dough instead of water okay yeah more but flavor I, I know, yes yeah I, I had no idea about making a drink why not yeah it's pretty cool do you guys want one? tell us about the no thank you okay <laughs> tell us about the tell us about the you were telling me earlier about the waste on bread and uh, waste is actually a podcast we did a few uh, weeks ago and uh, so maybe we can add a few things you were saying something about your bread yeah, so we do we do enriched doughs. Um, so we do a brioche, um, and what we what would, what would happen in the past? We would we would slice you know an inch inch and a half thick pieces, right? So we'd have the end pieces that would just sit there. Um, so by the end of the week, we'd have you know two three quarts of just wasted ends. And two things. This was the reason for my madness for this. One to minimize the waste because we'd have all these little chunks. And then two, every time we would do a French toast, we cook everything on cast irons back there, right? So French toast. If the if the pan's too hot. And we do induction, so that conducts heat quick. If the cook's not paying attention, it's burnt. Burnt. But the inside's, you know, like just gooey. Um, so I'm like, man, to eliminate that problem and and and, and improve consistency, um, I started doing research on on breads, like bread, like like pampardus and French uh-huh. toast. And I started looking at them. And in Korea, there's a there's a tempura um, fried bread, and they and they. They, they just slap it with like syrup and powdered sugar and it's like our version of pampered or like a French toast. So my thought was take the waste, tempura them, and you'll get a consistent cooking all the way through. As long as they're frying it to golden brown, right. you can't go wrong, right? right? So we take all the end pieces, tempura them in a coffee batter, and then 
just have it where guests are using their hands and they're dipping into a dulce de leche made of coconut milk that's been reduced papitas and um, stone fruit and nice. it's nuts. So. so that's something you're kind of encouraging is, you know, getting in there and eating with your hands. Yeah. I mean, why not, right? Like, we're, we, there's a lot of work. Chef, you should have warned me. I don't know if you guys know this, but Chef Pascal, to me, is a, is a mentor, is a hero who's Whoa. taught me a lot in a short amount of time, but I've always looked up to him. You should have told me that this was much harder than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> you taught me how to season and cook, but <laughs> yeah, where's that lesson? Yeah. Um, I do. I, I mean, I... I we, we do a lot with our hands, we're scratch cooking, and I, I want people to really get in there and work for their food. Our waits are long, typically, because we're making things to, to order, and it's a small kitchen. So for me, to stimulate the mind, because this is psychology to me, it's just as much as like nourishment, right, for, for just calories. Um, getting them to work a little bit makes them enjoy the experience much greater, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah a, lot of the, a lot of the menu, this, this go around, eliminates flatware, makes people get get in there with their hands, especially vegetables, right? Um, I have a lot of respect and I'm friends with my farmers and their hands are beat up. Um, their hands are just dirty and, and last year we won best vegetable and I thought about it this year, like how can I how can I win again but make it better than it was last year? Only way to do that is is get people to like eat with their hands, you know what I mean? That way you have hands all the way around. Tell us a little bit about your crepes. I noticed that you have a buckwheat crepe, you have a, um, uh, I mean, you have a whole bunch of different types <laughs> yeah. of batter, spell to use different types yeah. of flour. T yeah. Tell us about it. What's your, what's your most popular? What's the one you, you would uh, love? I know that the French use a lot of buckwheat oh, in I Brittany. Love buckwheat. I love the buckwheat. Yeah. Right now what I'm doing, I'm doing a chickpea crepe to make a like 100% gluten-free dish. Right. It's a hummus. I'm using Ramona chickpeas. So we do chickpeas three-way in the crepe, um, and then we flash and season the, the, the chickpeas. Um, we pickle them, if you will, and then we do a hummus. So that's that's kind of my favorite right now, because again, it's incorporating eating with your hands, and it also showcases technique and no waste. So there's like crepes three ways, and it's pretty cool. But the chocolate crepe's new too. That's like an ode to a Sunday. With this new menu, I wanted to just elevate what last year's menu was, or like crepe bar one, if you will. We added the chocolate and we added the, the chickpea. But one of my favorites, the buckwheat, I love it just because it's the earthy, it's nutty. Not a lot of people are into it. And I serve it this time around with a honey um, and marcona almonds. So it's like a sweet, savory, nutty, earthy, um, kind of stimulates all taste. Um, that one's kind of exciting. And then very American of me to play with this, but like a Grand Prix is like your all-American Grand Slam. Uh, like your, I remember in, in France, like the petit déjeuners. I asked for eggs in the morning. They're like, "Oh, you're so American!" Like they don't eat eggs in the morning. So I was wanting like an egg and a bacon. I wanted a baguette, but they're like, "It's not. It doesn't work that way." Right. So the Grand Prix, it's a coffee crepe. We use hard coffee, so trying to incorporate them throughout the entire menu and like teas and stuff that we use for the beverages. I try to use also in the in the dishes, but it's a gram. It's Grand Prix. It's coffee crepe. It's a coffee syrup. We take our creme fraiche that we make and we sweeten it up a little bit with maple. Do a little red chili in it and then serve it with uh, pork belly that we confit overnight. We brine it, do a dry brine, and we confit it and then we slice it um, and then we do an egg up on it and it's like our version of a grand slam. Nice. So it's pretty fun. And then you said that soon this fall you're going to Yeah, the omokase, which is like, um, let the chef just do their thing. Chef, you remember this, like the relationships with farmers and the CSAs, the Community Shared Agriculture. Trying to again, right, I get bored very easily, so I'm always trying to think about leveling up. So our farmers work extremely hard, 
So my thought was, we always we always put their posters up and we always encourage subscriptions. Everybody does that. So this year, subscriptions um, include sitting at the bar, sitting at the pass and the bar, and instead of just having an ingredient card or recipe card, we're just gonna cook for them. Um, that's part of like helping the subscriptions um, increase for our farmers. But I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, that is only good for maybe 15 people. So like having a pre-fee, if you will, um, which we don't do. Um, it's a version of that. So having a fixed menu mm-hmm. or fixed time, omakase, you sit down for you know 45 minutes. Let me just do a pairing. You have no say over what you get. Um, just it's to be expected that you're going to get farm veg from the CSAs. You're going to expect to get served by me, and it's just for fun. You know what I mean? Um, that's coming up in the fall once we get our liquor license. All right. But anyone can do that. Not yeah. Just yeah. But the idea stemmed from how to increase like subscriptions to our farmers. You know what I mean? Because they, they, I mean the, and they work so hard. I don't get, I don't know how they do it, um, in all reality. And they, they make their money really on CSAs. Um, and there's so many farmers out there doing the CSAs. And right. um, there's a good, there's a, there's a handful of restaurants really help promoting that. But it's just like it's kind of stale. You right. know what I mean? Right. You just put your posters up and. It needs something more than that to keep those guys sustainable. Do you know what I mean? To keep us alive too, I guess. In all reality, right? Great idea. What's Hasayampa? Mm. Hasayampa? Yeah, never heard of it. So instead of like labeling, and this is another thing that, that I'm trying to get people to think about, um, and it's to be expected, and you taught a little bit about this, just the quality of service, quality of food. That's the most important thing. I don't, I don't going into this menu, I don't need to label all of my purveyors to... Right. to make our food something it is what it is Hasayampa is the location of the pig um, that we get from the meat shop um, oh, okay. that's where they graze um, so Hasayampa is, uh, is the area that they roam it makes people think right like what the hell is a Hasayampa really? um, and I want them to ask because I want because we're quick service if you will I hate that word but that label if you will fast casual quick service but in all reality that's what we are you order up at the counter you sit down um, but I'm encouraging people to eat with their hands, to think a little bit more about what we're doing. And, it, and I don't need to list all my purveyors. It's to be expected if you're coming in here, we've established enough brand. It's to be expected you're going to get quality food, quality ingredients, and it's going to be cooked by us. You know what I mean? So that was my way of getting people to think and ask. Gotcha. Converse. Interesting. And also laugh because it's a funny name. Right. Also, right. Yeah, we were talking about the, we should talk about the carrot and the salt. Because <laughs> we should, because a lot of what I do is inspired by this man right here. I, I I was in there for six months, and I don't even know what year it was, 2009, 2010, I don't know. But I was in there as a sponge, and I thought we were going through soups. I pass everything now. I don't care what it is. I pass through chinois everything just for the mouthfeel. It is pretty funny because some of these guys, do we have to really pass his chef? I'm like, yes, yes, you should, yes, pass everything. So we're sitting there. They, it was it was soup. And, and you let everyone do their own soups, and I did carrot. I love carrots. Carrots is my thing. So I did this carrot soup, and, and I passed it. I remember the texture was great. I thought the flavors were great. It had a little ginger foam or something on it. It was like, I thought it was great. You tasted it. I, I kind of had one of those show-off kind of, you know, moments where I'm like, everyone else is still kind of sweating, getting their, their stuff done, and I'm like sitting around. Hmm. You came over, and you tasted it. You're like, did you, did you season this? I'm like, yes, yeah, chef. You season it, everything's good. I'm like, yes, chef. And you're like, give me, give me a bowl, give me spoons. And then you called the class around, and every, and you separated the two. You separated mine. You separated yours after you seasoned it. 
and then you're like, that was it. You just gave me that look, everyone tasted, and obviously chefs tasted much better, which is why I have a salt shaker on my on my finger tattooed. That was one of my that was one of my favorite stories. It's Memories. funny actually because another chef that I have a lot of respect for, uh, Chris Curtis, has salt shaker and pepper shaker uh, tattooed on both hands. He does. Yeah. Okay. Salt shaker on one hand and pepper, pepper cool. on the other. So I don't okay. know if he shakes his hand like this. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the, uh, the 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 soup class is the third class I do in my six months program, and it's certainly one of the first time people uh, cook something on their own. And it's kind of interesting to uh, have them taste the soup, put a pinch of salt, and have them taste it again. And realize that salt doesn't just add salt, but yeah. just brings out the flavor yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it's so good. Have you always cooked, or when did you start getting into No, I have. Um, I grew up in a single-parent home. It was a mom. I had an older brother. It's one of those stories where it's like, you know, she was really hard on us. Um, we didn't have very much, so we, we did what we could with what we had, and, and her, her she had a couple of rules. We had to be home for supper all the time. Uh, no matter what, we had to be home at a certain time. And since I was a baby, I had first pick, so it was either clean or cook. And I remember kind of processing at the time, and I was young, um, that I couldn't really do that much, because I was too young. So I'd either have to scrub potatoes or peel potatoes, or haul strawberries or pinch bread or something like that, or stir a pot. So I cooked since I could remember, and it was like, I didn't want to clean, you know what I mean? Um, which I clean more now than ever yeah, I mean, yeah. in the world. Yeah. So yeah, and then out of high school, not to get like deep, but I mean, I, it was kind of, my mom passed when I was young, 14, 15, and she was smart, because she knew I was struggling in school, and she was sick, and um, I dropped out of high school, got my GED, and she, she put in the will that I had to get a college education um, before I had any will money. Um, so I thought I was clever. I'd go to culinary school. I went to culinary school in Chicago, um, and I'm from St. Louis, and I lasted just long enough to know some of the fundamentals and basics and dropped out of that too. It just kind of roamed around and was in and out of the industry and like catering and stuff like that and landed a um, a weird, kind of funny, funny job. I was a um, manager for a bowling alley, um, where I oversaw the uh, food and beverage because um, I wanted a bowl. I wanted a my mom bowled, so I wanted a bowl, right? And then it wasn't until man, I think like, again, 2009, I guess. Yeah. Um, I ended up graduating from Indiana University with a behavioral science degree, and cooking was always something that I that I was into. And I remember when I first met Chef, I moved out here to work for Corp Corporate America, a monster worldwide. And this is kind of what inspires me to do what I do now, because this industry, traditionally, if you have a minute, um, typically pays shit. And people don't have a chance to really build a palate or experience food. And working for Corporate America, I made some bank. Um, and I knew I was going to open something up. And I was able to travel. And I moved out here. And I was looking at culinary schools. Chef Pascal came up and I met him and I enrolled in your practical, your six month program. Just banged it out and went to went to France. Mm -hmm. Remember this? Um, went from Nice to Paris and had a had a crepe. And I was like on the airplane. I was like, dude, I'm from the Midwest and I lived on the East Coast. Street food was always a thing. And in France, the mar marchés were so friggin' bomb. Like, like here we are. We're obviously I don't speak French very well. Barely speak English, if you will. And they were so courteous like, and so kind about us if we didn't finish the plates. You know what I mean? They were so, like, the purveyor to guest relationships were off the charts. And I remember having this crepe, this crepe, if you will, um, Nutella, and I was like, what in the world is this thing, dude? And on the airplane, I kid you not, 
I put the business plan together for trucking good food and knew that crepes were going to be my my vessel to tell my like culinary story, if you will. And that was in 2000. I don't even know. Getting old, Chef. You see all the I know. this. You don't look like you aged though. I haven't no. seen you for years. It's the French water or something. I don't know what it is. So did I ask your question? You did. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Super. What's in your future? Another concept. So focusing on breakfast and lunch. I want to be that first person to like have an impact on your day. This has grown to be much, much bigger than I anticipated, um, and I'm I'm proud of it. But I but I'm looking for the next the next thing for me is going to be much more intimate. Um, which the omakase is going to lead that path. That's going to give me a chance to do trial and error, you know, test of, like recipe development, if you will. Um, but the next the next thing for me is uh, to have a place where there's a lot of hands-on interaction. You know what I mean? Um, just a lot of simulation, just everywhere, you know, and much more intimate. Super. I forgot to ask my quick fire question. Oh, quick fire. Um, best hidden or what's a hidden gem restaurant in Phoenix? Ooh, in Phoenix. The Greater Valley? Um, okay. The Brickyard, downtown Chandler. Places happen. Dude, it's bomb. Um, you got a couple of, you got the chef coming from Bo McMillan. I don't know his name. I always forget his name. Aaron or Alex. Um, but it's, it's, in, it's in downtown. You walk in. It's got like this, like, um, oh man, like a brick. It's got this brick and it's wood and it's warm. Um, and it's kind of tight. It reminds you of the East Coast, if you will. Um, there's a big, long bar and small plates and it's playful plates, shared plates, and they have it all, cocktails, um, food service, and the owner, front of the house, Gavin, is always there to meet and greet. It's cool, it's pretty bomb. I'll show you. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, coffee or espresso? Oh, espresso. What's always in your refrigerator at home? <laughs> White wine and water and eggs. <laughs> that's pretty much in charcuterie, that's what's in there right now. Favorite condiment? Oh, oh man, that's a good question. I like pace. I like curry pace. Favorite food truck besides your own? <laughs> oh man, you don't have it anymore, do you? No, I kept an intellectual property. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't been on a, I haven't, I haven't eaten on a food truck, and I can't tell you how long. It's been a long time. Do I just make one up right now? Yeah. Next time. <laughs> I know. Um, custard. No, I don't know. Um, who's the, who's there? There's a. The Freets, it's um, there's a Freets truck um, who do like they do legitimate Freets, um, and I think they're looking at brick and mortar. But I think it's called F the Freets USA or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? They were really good, and I also liked Frank's, um, and I'm not a big hot dog guy. And Chef Adam Allison, what he did on that truck was insane. But he specialized in 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 Frank's. I don't know if they're still around though, but. Taste and be patient and experiment, yeah. That's something you always encourage us to. I remember watching you, I, I get it now more so than I did before. Um, you, would, you, would, you would let us just go on our own and you would watch, you'd, you'd be paying attention, um, but you would, you would encourage us to just do something um, and kind of like ex explore, do you know what I mean? Um, which I encourage them all the time. But yeah, that's it. I can never just say one word. <laughs> I have a hard time with that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for um, spending some time with us. Chef, I love you. Thank you.
This has been a classic cooking production, hosted by Chef Pascal Dionne, Chef Lou Swartz, and Danielle Sanders. Produced by Danielle Sanders.